Before we go to God's word, let's, uh, let's spend a little time in prayer. All right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day in which you've given us. For the sunshine. Lord, even if it wasn't sunny today and we had clouds, we would thank you for that. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, that we have to gather here to worship you. Because this morning, Lord, I know in foreign countries and other places, it's not as easy. Some people are secretly going to church this morning so they don't get arrested. Some people are walking three, four, five miles barefoot today just to go to church to worship you. Some people will stand in a crowded small room without chairs to worship you. Some will sit on a dirt floor to worship you. Many of us have the opportunity to worship you in a larger building with chairs, air conditioning, or heat. Thank you, God. Regardless of where we are today worshiping you, our brothers and sisters that are related through your Spirit are calling out to you today with open hearts saying, Speak to us, God, because we want to worship you and you alone. So, Lord, today we pause. This is your day. We pause now and say, God, we're here to worship you. We've done in song, and now we want to do this in truth. Lord, for the many that have gone through a long week with bad news or even good news, Lord, today we bring our burdens to you and we bring our praises to you. And ask, Lord, that as we lay them at your feet, we ask for your help, and we also say thank you for the, what you've given us. Open our hearts now, Lord, to what you would like us to learn about you. In that name we pray. Amen. Grab your Bibles, and you're going to turn them to uh, the book of Exodus, chapter 20. Second book in the Bible, you got Genesis and then Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. Now, I'm going to mention a few scriptures before we get there, but I'm going to have you in advance turn to Exodus 20. While you're turning there, repeat after me, God, you are holy. God, you are patient. God, you are almighty and powerful. God, you are faithful. God, you are full of grace and mercy. God, you are jealous. What? See, up to this point in time, we've gone through the sermon series, God, you are. And we've talked about God being holy and patient almighty and powerful and faithful and full of grace and mercy. But we haven't talked about God being a jealous God, right? Because jealous doesn't, that doesn't sound right. It sounds bad. It sort of brings back memories of dating and seeing that waiter flirting with my soon-to-be wife and wondering, I think he's getting a little too uh, friendly, you know? And then a little jealousy thing starts to rise up, right? It's like that soap opera situation where you see uh, these memories of these guys, these dating, messing around, controlling, they lose a girlfriend, and then because of this raging jealousy, right? And to say God is jealous? Can you really equate those two? It doesn't sound right when you say God's a jealous God. But I'd like you to think about this. If you're married in here, think about it this way. If you're dating in here, think about it this way. You spend time with that special person, your spouse, the one you're dating. And then you're committed to each other in a strong relationship, especially if you're married. You're committed, right? 
The ring on the finger shows. Fully committed, right? But then you see that person texting somebody else and calling them, hanging out with them, and laughing together, and all of a sudden they're like touching each other's shoulder. Oh, you know, and it's like, hey, this doesn't feel right. Uh, you're paying more attention to that person than me, and we're married, and jealousy starts to rage, right? It's not a good feeling. I remember um, about four or five years ago, I was at a uh, football game, and it was uh, a college football game, and after the game, we always go out and players shake hands, and then the teams go to their end, end zones, and the players had shaken hands, and I saw a couple players from our team, they had just gotten beat, I saw a couple players from our team talking to players from the other team, sort of buddying up with them. And this is after three or four losses. And our team's not happy about losing, and they're pretty frustrated. And um, they're frustrated the way they played that day. So they start buddying up with some of these guys from this other college. You could hear the conversation going on. Hey, uh, so uh, what's your school like? What's your tuition cost? How much does your college football program help you out financially? They're asking all these questions, thinking about transferring and siding with them. Head coach is right within earshot of all this. And you could just see his face turning red. We got over to the end zone. Guys took a knee, and a couple of the guys that had been lingering and talking worked their way over. And it's frustrating enough that the team lost, but to hear your players wanting to be somewhere else with another team hurt. Oh, did he unload. <laughs> I can't tell you what he said, okay? But as I sat there and listened, I thought, wow, he's, he's upset. But rightly so, because as a coach, he was that sort of that jealous feeling of, you're my team. You're my players. I've sacrificed so much for you to be a part of this, and you want to be with somebody else. Sort of the same feeling that with your spouse. You love your spouse so much, and then you see your spouse going some other direction. You're thinking, this isn't right. I love you so much. I'm committed to you, but yet you want to go some other direction. Now, that kind of emotion, that kind of feeling, that kind of deep, passionate, caring, protective love like a good husband has for his wife, that's God. It's not a bad jealousy. It's a passionate devotion to us, and when we turn away from him, he becomes jealous. Are you following me on this? Listen to what Solomon, Song of Solomon 8, verses 6 to 7 says. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. It's jealousy as enduring as the grave. Love flashes like fire, the brightest kind of flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can rivers drown it. If a man tried to buy love with all his wealth, his offer would be utterly scorned. Unquenchable love. Unquenchable love. How does it make you feel to know that God has an intense, passionate love for you? That, that was for you. That wasn't just a song of Solomon. It wasn't just writing off saying, oh, here's something. He was talking about God's unquenchable love for you. You cannot put it out. Isaiah 54, 5 says, For your creator will be your husband. The Lord of heaven's armies is his name. He's your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of all earth. 
See, we are God's creation, and He loves us with His passionate love. And He looks at us as if God is our husband and we are the bride. He loves us deeply. He knows that no one or no one thing can ever love us or protect us like He can. His love is so much higher. So you think right now about somebody that maybe loves you, multiply that a hundredfold and then keep multiplying it and then you'll come close to maybe the amount of, of love that God has for you because His love is intense and passionate. Knowing a little bit more about how incredible God is and His love for us, what does God say to His people, to those He loves? I mean, you think about that person you love with the utmost love, okay? Take God out of the picture. Put that human being that you really passionately love, you care about, you have them right in front of you. What do you say to that person? So imagine now God talking to you as He expresses that passionate love to you. What do you demand of that person that you love? What does God demand of us whom He loves? Allegiance. If you love me, stand with me. If you love with me, stick with me. If you love me, stay by my side, hold my hand, right? That's what love does. Exodus chapter 20, everybody there? Exodus 20, let's read. I'm the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt. Verse 3, do not worship any other gods beside me. Do not make idols of any kind, whether in the shape of birds or animals or fish. You must never worship or bow down to them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, who will not share your affection with any other God. I don't leave unpunished the sins of those who hate me, but I punish the children of the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generations. I lavish my love on those who love me and obey my commands, even for a thousand generations. Verse 7, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Remember to observe the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Six days a week are set apart for your daily routines, regular work. But the seventh day is a day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any kind of work. This includes your sons, daughters, male, female, servants, livestock, any foreigners that live among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them. Then he rested on the seventh. That's why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Verse 12. Honor your father and mother, then you'll live a long, full life in the land the Lord will give you. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not testify falsely against your neighbor, do not covet your neighbor's house, do not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox, donkey, or anything else that your neighbor owns. Those are known as what? Ten Commandments, yes. That's the Ten Commandments. See, God says, I love my people so much Maybe you don't know how to have a good relationship, so out of my love for you, I'm asking allegiance. And here's the first thing I want to do. I'm going to set out ten commands to you. And the first one is this. No other gods. No other gods. Don't worship any other gods. Don't make any other gods. Let me ask you this. Has anyone here ever broken any of the ten commands? Don't raise your hand. Okay. I think we're all there in that part of saying, I think we've all broken one of the Ten Commands. 
Let me help you out here in case you're thinking maybe I haven't. Have you ever lied? Have you ever not honored your mom or dad? Now, I'm going to guess that right now at this point in time, I don't think anybody in here has murdered anybody, okay? If you have, please keep your hands down, okay? But have you ever hated somebody so much that you just, oh, I'm so angry, I hate them? What does Jesus say about that? In your heart, in your mind, you, that's right here. You have, in a sense, is what Jesus would say. Have you ever made an idol in your life? Oh, no. I don't have no statues sitting on the, uh, no little Buddha things or, the, you know, stat no, I don't have it, right? Anybody here ever deal with being greedy? How about taking something that didn't belong to you? All right, now that I've got you all feeling awesome this morning, thanks, Pastor Rex, for making us feel great when we come into worship. You lay out God's Ten Commandments before us and lay before us the fact that we're all guilty. Exactly. Because we're in need of a Savior. He sort of laid that out there to help us understand that, right? But no one's exempt from this list, not even me. I can go through and check off all the ones that I've broken to. But here's what Martin Luther said. You can't break any of the commandments until you've broken the first command. You can't break any of the commands until you've broken the first one. Because see, any time we put something before God, we're going to break them all now. We're going to break them all. Seems like a foreign idea to break that first command. Because then we conjure up these old antiquish ideas of, of false idols. So uh, another god. So we're thinking statues. We're thinking, uh, I don't know, some kind of um, pagan temple or something. The sort of old school days of worship, right? So sometimes that's a little hard for us to think. It just doesn't seem to have much relevance today. But in Scripture, it was the number one problem. Number one problem. Let's consider our struggles. Let's think about this. If you dig deep enough under every sin, what do we find? So if we struggle with lying or greed or taking things that don't belong to us, go to the root of that problem. Why is that? Could it be that the root of our sin is idolatry? Could it be as, you know, as a pastor, I think about this, I talk with people a lot, you know, they come in and they say, hey, I'm struggling with this sin, I'm struggling with that. And then, of course, I talk with myself sometimes, the sins that I struggle with, and then when we talk about all those sins, we go to the root of it, regardless of the sin, the root seems to come from a similar challenge, and that is idolatry, putting something else before God. As soon as I put something else before God, then these other things happen. Because I care about something else so much, and I want to get away with it, I might lie about it so that I can make it happen. But see, if God was truly number one in my life, I'm not going to lie about that and get that direction. There's over a thousand verses that deal with idolatry in the Bible, and there's 50 commands just in the first five books alone that talk about idolatry. Turn with me to the book of Psalm, Psalm 106. Psalm 106. As you're turning there, we uh, actually shared part of this passage. It was probably two, three months ago in a sermon series. I talked about making a bad trade. And I use the first two verses here, um, starting in verse 19, Psalm 106, verse 19. Let's just pick up there. The people made a calf at Mount Sinai. They bowed before an image of gold. This is right after the Ten Commandments, by the way, okay? As it was going on, matter of fact. They traded their glorious God for a statue of a grass-eating bull. 
They forgot, their, they forgot God, their Savior, who'd done such great things in Egypt. The people refused to enter the pleasant land for they wouldn't believe his promise to care for them. Instead, they grumbled in their tents and they refused to obey the Lord. Now, you remember that scene. Now, look at verse 28. Then our ancestors joined in the worship of Baal at Peor. They even ate sacrifices offered to the dead. They angered the Lord with all these things, so a plague broke out among them. But Phineas, and kids, not Phineas and Ferb, okay, but Phineas had the courage to step in and the plague was stopped. So he had been regarded as a righteous man ever since that time. Then look at verse 32. At Meribah, too, they angered the Lord, causing Moses serious trouble. They made Moses angry and he spoke foolishly. But look what happened, verse 34. Israel failed to destroy the nations in the land as the Lord had told them to. Instead, they mingled among the pagans, adopted their evil customs, they worshipped their idols. This led to their downfall. Did you see that verse? They worshipped idols apart from God, and that led to what? Their downfall. Look at verse 40. That's why the Lord's anger burned against his people. He looked at his, his special possession, and he detested them. He's like, I created these people. I love these people. And they turned on me again. Verse 41, he handed them over to pagan nations, and those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies crushed them and brought them under the cruel power. Again and again he delivered them, but they continued to rebel against them, so they were finally destroyed by their sin. So don't you think about this. God says, I love you, I love you. Don't make any other idols. Follow me and me alone. Worship me and me alone. And these people are like, okay. And then they set up false idols. And God says, stop that. Oh, you make me angry. And then, okay, we'll stop. We'll worship you and you alone, God. And then what they do, they sin. They mess up and they got in that cycle again. They sin. They ask for forgiveness. God forgives them. They sin. It just, it's an ugly cycle. It just sort of kept going over and over. Look at verse 44. Even so, he pitied them in their distress and listened to their cries. He remembered his covenant with them and relented because of his, his unfailing love. Let me hear you say unfailing love. Look at the person next to you and say, God has unfailing love for you. Please tell them that. Look at verse 47. Save us, O Lord, our God. Gather us back from among the nations so we can thank your holy name and rejoice and praise you. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say amen. That's right. That's the way we should respond to that. So we read that. See, God is faithful. God is love. But God is a jealous God that demands our love back to him. See, if you're visiting church and you said, hey, what's the, what's the mission of True North? Tell me a little bit about True North Church. I mean, I want to be a part of this church, but what do you guys really go after? What, what are you seeking? I would, I would say, look at this. You're looking right at it right now. Look, look, love God, love others. Love God, love others. Jesus Christ summed it up in his command when he said, what are the two, what's the greatest command? And he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love one another as yourself. Love God, love others. Let's not get those two fixed up, mixed up in how it should be said, okay? Well, let's love others first, then we'll love God. No. You can't love others until you love God. And God wants our love first. 
Therefore, if you want to be a part of True North, understand this. We're trying our hardest, and we fail. I get that. I fail. We fail at doing that sometimes. But no matter how many times we fail, we've got to get back up. Wipe the dust off, you know, get back on our knees, ask God for forgiveness, get back and say, God, you first. Love you first. I want to love God first. When I learn to love God first and make Him first, then I'm able to love others. And maybe, you know, we're confused on what this love is all about, you know. Like, I love pizza, you know. I love watching football, okay. I love hanging out with someone. You know, I love texting. I love, you know, la, 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 okay. I think we get confused then because then we throw that kind of love towards God. Well, I love God until I've had too much God, then I need to digest, okay? I love God for a season, like football, but then something else comes along. You know what I'm saying? I love God. I love texting until my fingers get tired, you know? Sometimes we get a little confused maybe what that love is all about. We don't understand that it requires unconditional and committed. Those are two words a little tougher on us sometimes, right? do this. Uh, let's go to the book of Joshua, okay? Let's go. So we're going back towards the beginning. We've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, then Joshua. Go to chapter 24. See, in Joshua 24, we find Joshua. He's had this full life. He's done so much. He's 110 years old. Anybody in here 110? No? Okay. Ro Roger, you raise your hand. I know better than that. How many of you feel like you're 110? Okay. Wow. Praise God for Sunday naps. Okay. Refuel this afternoon, please. Okay. So he's 110 years old, and a lot of us, you know, we're thinking at 110, I'm done. Some of us think like I'm at, you know, 80, 70, 60, 50. You name the number, I'm done, right? At 110, he's still serving God. He's still leading. He was leading an army, hundreds of thousands, not millions of people, at 110 years old. That's pretty awesome. And so he's sort of finishing up here, thinking, okay, as, as I conclude my leadership at 110, I'm going to give a little message to you. I'm, he brought all, everybody together and said, listen, we're all going to have a chat. This is my farewell, my waving goodbye as I ride off to the sunset of retirement. And I'm going to say one thing to you all. Can you imagine this? So like for those of you maybe wherever your workplace is, if the president of your company or business gathered everybody goes, hey, before I retire... I want to bring you all my employees together, and I, I just want to say one thing to you all before I leave. So Joshua does that, and he brings them all together. Look what he does, verse 2, Joshua 24. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Your ancestors, including Terah, the, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River. They worshipped other gods. But God took your ancestor Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him to the land of Canaan. He gave him many descendants through his son Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave all the hill country of Seir, while Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron. I brought terrible plagues on Egypt. Afterward I brought you out, free people. But when your ancestors arrived at the Red Sea, the Egyptians chased after you with chariots and horses. Do you remember that? And you cried out to the Lord. I put darkness between you and the Egyptians. I brought the sea crashing down on the Egyptians, drowning them. With your very own eyes, you saw what I did. Then you lived in the wilderness for many years. Finally, I brought you into the land of the Amorites on the east side of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave you victory over them. You took possession of the land. 
Then Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, started a war against Israel. He asked Balaam, son of Beor, to curse you. But I wouldn't listen to him. and said, I made Balaam bless you. So I rescued you from Balak. And when you crossed the Jordan River, you came to Jericho. The men of Jericho fought against you. There were so many others who fought, including the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Jergeshites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. But I gave you victory over all of them. And I sent hornets ahead of you to drive out two of the kings of the Amorites. It wasn't your sword or your bows that brought you victory. I gave you land you had not worked for, and I gave you cities you did not build, the cities in which you are now living. I gave you vineyards and olive groves for food, though you did not plant them. So God's, you know, God's just speaking through Joshua right now. Are y'all hearing what God's done for you? You're here today because of God. Because God started with Abraham, and all the way through history, God freed, God gave, God rescued. And here you are. You're living in a land that was given to you. You didn't build it, you didn't buy it. God gave it to you. So what's our response, people? So listen to what he says in the next verse. Verse 14. So honor the Lord you serve and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols you worship when they lived beyond the Euphrates in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you're unwilling to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live now? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. I love it. Joshua stands mighty and strong in front of all these people and says, hey, choose who you want to serve. Oh, by the way, you got to choose. There is no, well, I'm not going to worship anything or anybody. That isn't going to work because he worships a part of our DNA. We were, we're all created to worship something or someone. You don't have a choice. Well, I'm just not going to worship any of those. You can't say that. You're going to worship something or someone. So Joshua says, choose this day. Gods of the past, gods of now, or the one true God of this universe. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. Let me ask the men in this room. Because men, the women are always looking for the men to lead. So gentlemen, the high school young guys right here in the front, you know. Ladies are looking for you to lead. Will you be the one in your house to stand up and say, but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. Where do you stand in that? When you look through all this, the choice was made, the ceremony was complete. And this ceremony actually included sacrifice. And see, God is someone that we sacrifice for and what we pursue. That's what happens. And if you're not making sacrifices for God, guess what? Then you're not pursuing God because that's part of the pursuit. That's part of the choosing to worship. That's part of the serving is I also sacrifice. This, this series, I don't know, if you, if you showed up this morning and said, hey, we're moving into a new series called American Idols. If you thought I was going to get up here along with a few other judges... And we're going to have you pull out different people, come up here and sing in front, okay? Sing a song for us, and then we're going to sit here and judge you, and like, oh, that's terrible, that's horrible, you stink, okay? And I can't even come close to what's-his-face. But anyway, if I was some kind of judge just throwing that kind out, I would be the person that would come up here with the microphone and start singing, and they were like, oh, who told you you had a good voice? Well, my choir director did, and your choir director's tone deaf, right? Um... I like that part of the show, by the way, because I can relate to those people. All the people with awesome voices, 
that make it onto the final part, I can't relate to them because they got awesome voices. I mean, good for them, but I just can't relate, right? If you thought that's what the sermon was going to be about, the sermon series, like, great talent, let me help you understand what American Idols is. This is a series focusing on the things that cause us to love something else more than God. Okay? So the next four or five weeks, when you come here, we're going to talk about the things that try to steal our love from God. We've got to nail these down so we know what to avoid, right? It's a serious examination of the gods we have in our life, the choices we make in either making the God of this universe our true God or just somebody we go to on occasion. You know, on TV we see advertisements, and on radio we hear these advertisements, and all over we see these advertisements, media, about things that make it sound like if we don't have these things, we're not going to make it, right? Eat here, you'll be satisfied, right? If you don't order this now, you're going to miss out. What am I going to miss out on? I don't know, but you better order it so you don't miss out. Everything seems life or death in media when it comes to advertisement, right? I want to tell you right now, it doesn't have to be evil or wrong to be a false god. A good thing can become a god thing. A good thing can become a God thing. With all these advertisements coming our way saying, you need this, you need this, I'm going to stop right now and tell you this. Here's what we all need. God, period. Everybody got that? It's pretty simple. Truly, without him, you're missing out, okay? So the only one thing we need is God. And so as we examine this over the next few weeks, I'm going to bring up certain things and say, here's what we're going to focus on. And some of you, it's going to be like, I didn't want to hear that today. Good, that's why you're here. Because God wants you to hear it. As I go through these things, I get to examine my life first before I preach it, okay? So it gets rough, okay? So if you call me up during the week and I'm grouchy, it's because God's working on me on something right now that I might be struggling with. Or if I'm really happy, it's because I'm not dealing with this. And, but that's what happens. We've got to be real. If God's truly our God, that we say, today, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If that's the kind of proclamation you make, then we've got to put all these other false gods in front of us and say, I've got to get that out of my life. I got to make sure I don't touch it. So what are some of those gods that we war with? Now here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a self-examination in the next couple minutes. Okay, I'm just going to ask some questions. You're not going to answer. But you're going to, in your mind, think this through. Okay? Because there are some questions you can ask yourself to say, well, I don't have any false gods in my life. I'm super Christian. Okay? So for all you super Christian, if you were to rip open your shirt right now, it would be a big S and you know, got a little uniform underneath, you know, little, the tights or whatever. Okay? And you're super Christian. Okay? If that's you, hold on, i got a little kryptonite to throw your way, okay? So here's the deal. I want you to answer, ask these questions and answer them to yourself. These are indicators, okay? What disappoints you? What disappoints you? That's a good indicator of disappointment is that we, we complain about something, and when we complain about something, that might actually be revealing an idol you have in your life. What do you sacrifice your time and money for? See, the word serve appears in Joshua's scripture, which actually refers to time and money. So where does your paycheck go to? See, our biggest investment is obviously our biggest idol. What do you worry about? What are you most terrified about not reaching? These things have potential to become an idol. Where do you go when you hurt or need comfort? Henry Blackaby describes an idol as something that we go to in order to find comfort. What makes you mad? Surprised how quickly something can set you off? Well, why is that? Could it be that uh, the victory from the game or the respect from your spouse or something else means more to you than you thought? 
What do you get mad at? What do you dream about? Work, sport, appearance? Has it become more important than God? Whose encouragement means the most to you? Your boss, dad, mom, spouse. See, we all want encouragement, but it could be that we live in such a way to honor them so much that they become a God in our life. Those are just some questions to start posing and asking, hmm, what really is a priority in my life? What really has become an idol in my life? Joshua identifies these gods of war and he throws down the challenge. He says this, choose. Look at the person next to you and say, choose. Go ahead and tell them, choose. Now look at another person and tell them, choose. Kids, with your little whiteboards right now, write the word choose, C-H-O-O-S-E, okay? Choose. Because that word that's used is not a, it's a verb that doesn't mean a one-time action, like I'm choosing today and I don't have to choose ever again. It's a, it means it's a continuous verb. It means when you wake up in the morning, I got to choose today. When you wake up tomorrow, guess what? You got to choose tomorrow. And the next day, you got to choose again. It's a continuous verb. So as for me and my household, I choose to serve the Lord. That's today. And guess what? When I wake up tomorrow morning, guess what? As for me and my household, I choose to serve the Lord. That's a daily thing. That's got to happen. Choose now and every day you wake up. I'm telling you, sin doesn't just spring out of nowhere. These idols just don't all of a sudden appear like, whoa, where did that idol come from? I can't believe I've been worshiping it. No, it's usually as a bad habit develops or like a planted seed, it grows. And then eventually it rears its ugly head and we realize, wow, I've been worshiping that. It doesn't make sense, right? Let me read two scriptures to you. First one, I think we have it on the, on the screen. 1 John 5, 21 and Proverbs 4, 23. 1 John 5, 21 says this, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. Get away from it. Verse, uh, Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard that heart. Don't let anything get in there that might take the place of God. American Online, I don't know if you knew this, but not too long ago they released a public report on the Internet. So how many of you get on the, I'm sort of curious, how many get on the Internet and you'll search for things? Go ahead and raise your hand. Anyway, we all do, right? Okay, some two hands. Okay, good. Here's the thing. Uh, not too long ago, they released uh, uh, to the public an internet search uh, of 650,000 of its network users. Now, no real names were used, just numbers, okay? So number 34218, that user did a search for all these things, and he listed all the things that they searched on the computer, okay? Now, however, after studying all the research and the search history of some users, names and numbers actually started matching up. Uh-oh. People were defined and figured out by their searches. Let me ask you something. What if somebody got a hold of your search engine on your computers, on your iPods and iPads and everywhere else you can search, and they pulled out all those searches and they tallied them up? What are you searching for? What's your greatest search online? Does it match your talk? I'm sold out for Jesus. I serve God and I serve Him alone. Hey, let's check out your search engine. What does it say? According to your search engine, that looks like more of a God than He does. Well, um, 
realize this. We have an enemy who um, he wants to lure you away from loving, trusting, and worshiping God. The devil wants to destroy all that. Because as soon as you stop worshiping God, you're worshiping him. The other scripture up there is 2 Corinthians 11, 2-3. Uh, Paul says this. For I'm jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promise you as a pure bride to one husband, that is Christ. But I fear, listen to this, I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. Paul says, I'm so afraid that your hearts are going to get corrupted. I'm so afraid that somebody's going to take the place of God in your heart. Just as Eve was deceived, I'm afraid you're going to be deceived. And I promise you as a bride to God. That scared Paul. If Satan can get you to devote to anything or anyone above Jesus Christ, he will. Paul knows it and he exclaims it. So here's what I want to encourage you with as we close. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. And uh, for those of you taking notes, I'm just going to give you some simple things real quick to help you this week as we start saying, I choose today to serve God. Here's some ways to start working on that as we get into this series, American Idol. First of all, daily get up, okay? So in the morning, you just get up and say, I want to seek you, God, today, okay? Here's how we do it. God, give me the desire. You just got to pray that. God, give me the desire to seek you today. What kind of desire is that? Um, I need, uh, let's go with, I think, four or five kids. I don't care what age you are. Come on up here, okay? See right up here with me? I got one. I got two. I need three and four. Awesome. Five. Come on up. I don't care. Girls, come on up. You're up. Come on up here. Thank you. That's what you're going to do. We're going to have a hold your breath contest, okay? No cheating. We are in church, okay? God knows. Okay, and so do your parents. Okay, so here's what you do. You can either plug your nose or you don't have to. Close your mouth and you're going to hold your breath, okay? Now, don't start yet. Okay, I'll tell you when to start. When you can no longer hold your breath and you have to breathe, please breathe, okay? Are we clear on that one? Okay. Okay, so this is what you're going to do. You have your hand up and as soon as you're like, you're holding your breath, holding your breath, as soon as you can't hold your breath anymore, put your hand down so I know you are breathing again, okay? Sound good? And if you stop breathing and fall down, I know you're out too, okay? Everybody got that? But don't do that, okay? Everybody, you know what I'm doing? Let's see who can hold their breath the longest. I'm going to time you because I'm used to, you know, coach, stopwatch, here we go. Ready? Ready? Hands up. And hold your breath. try. Good try. All right. Still at it. Good job. 20 seconds. Wow. Doing good. Good job. 30 seconds. Oh, they're done. 35. Three left. You're doing great. Two left. Oh, keep it going. Keep it going. Last one. She's wearing the right shirt. With God, all things are possible. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Excellent. 50 seconds. Nice job. Okay. Now, I'm going to keep you all up here for a second. Now, this is what I want you to think about, okay? Go ahead and let's say you were about, I don't know, what, 20 seconds? Do you remember? Somewhere around there? 
Anyway, okay, so let's say this. You're getting to the last part where you couldn't breathe anymore, and you're like, okay, I'm about ready to go with it. But what if I came and I put my hand over your mouth, and I plugged your nose, and I said, no, five more seconds. What would you do? You'd pass out? Would you try to slap my hands off and then say, I'm never coming to church here again? Yeah? Okay. Because why? You're desperate, right? It's like, I want to breathe. I want to breathe, right? Parents, adults, when we're that desperate for air, and you're that desperate for God, that's the kind of desire I'm talking about. If you're breathing in and breathing out, it's just a normal thing. That's the way it should be a relationship with God. But if you are not desiring God the way you desire to breathe, then we need to change that. Thanks, kids. Go ahead and have a seat. Go ahead and have a seat. Awesome job. Thank you. So here's what we need to do. We need to equal our desperation for God the way we equal desperation for air. Next time you're really, really thirsty and your mouth is dry, it's like, I just really want something to drink. I say, you can't have another drink for another two hours. Oh, that's really going to bother you, isn't it? It should bother you, too, if you're not spending time with God. You should be that desperate. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, is to study God's Word. Get into God's Word. You sit there and say, well, okay, why should I study God's Word? Why have a time alone with God? Why worship Him? If you can't answer that question, then you have nothing to aim for. You've got to be able to answer that question, first of all. Once you have a goal, then you can move forward. With the desire to know and worship God, you move towards that goal. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed. 2 Timothy 2.15. Get into God's Word. Study it. Learn it. Find the right tools to help you with that. Devote a time is the last thing. Devote a time. Set a time. You, you all set times in your calendars for all kinds of things. If you have problems meeting with God, set a time. Well, I'll just work out whenever I can meet with Him. Then it's probably not going to happen, so set a time. Do those things. Again, as we want to make sure we're choosing today whom we serve, then start with some of these things right now as you guard your heart. Next couple weeks, we'll start putting the idols out here in front. Here's an idol that we struggle with in America. Let's make sure we're not worshiping it. And we'll nail those down one by one as we continue to worship God. Would you please stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you, Lord, for being a God that loves us with incredible passion and love. You love us so much, you say, I want you to love me back. And you desire for us to have that relationship with you. So, God, this morning, I just pray that as we sing to you on this last song, Lord, as we sing to you that in our hearts, we truly, truly start figuring out that, boy, we've really got to guard our hearts. Because the enemy wants to take us away from worshiping you, to distract us and put other things in our lives that take up a little more time and a little more sacrifice, a little more money, a little more devotion, and eventually we're not worshiping you the way we should worship you. We've made these idols in our lives. God, we don't want that. We want to worship you and you alone. So Lord, this morning as we close in worship, Lord, just reveal to our hearts there's something there that we really need to confess and get out. We want to confess the Lord to you this morning. Lord, as we move forward this week and we say, I, well, I do want to choose to serve you and serve you alone. As for me and my house, we will serve you. Then, Lord, make that choice be a daily choice. Help us to every day get up with the devoted time and the desire to get into your word in time of prayer with you. And guard our hearts, Lord. Make our hearts only a place where you reside. We worship you alone. 
Lord, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity to worship you today. So Lord, we sing to you now. In your name we pray, amen.